Good morning, everyone. Welcome to New Life Church this morning. My name is Russell Smith, one of the pastors here at New Life, and uh, it's my privilege uh, to be sharing God's Word uh, with us this morning. As we continue through this uh, amazing, this marvellous book of Acts, this true account from history of God's movement of the gospel going out from Jerusalem uh, to the ends of the earth. I want to begin with this question this morning, who is the greatest evangelist ever? Who has been the greatest ever in the history of the world of taking the gospel out to the world? Who has been the greatest ever at preaching Jesus? One of my heroes is Billy Graham. Uh, He's a hero because for me he models leadership integrity and personal godliness. Thank you, Brock. Uh, I came across, uh, well, I'd always heard about Billy Graham... Uh, It was uh, when, in my days of being a ministry apprentice, that I read uh, Billy Graham's autobiography and was there really struck uh, by his commitment to leadership integrity and personal godliness. For him, the movement of the gospel mattered more than his personal comfort or convenience. Uh, perhaps, Perhaps you've heard... Uh, In the media this week, some criticism or analysis of US Vice President Mike Pence, uh, who is um, uh, 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 committed to what is called the Billy Graham rule, where Mike Pence said he'd never have uh, dinner alone with a woman other than his wife. That was part of Billy Graham's style of ministry. He was so committed to the integrity of the movement of the gospel that he made hard decisions to guard his godliness. But this isn't why he might be the greatest evangelist ever. It's estimated that in Billy Graham's preaching ministry, he preached live to 215 million people in 185 countries, including North Korea and China. Uh, In Moscow in 1992, He preached to 155,000 people and 50,000 of them responded to the call to become Christians. Uh, Billy Graham is the only minister to have a star in the pavement on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. Is he the greatest evangelist ever? Or is it Eunice Olliwale? from northern Nigeria. It's quite likely you've never heard of Eunice. I'd never heard of Eunice until I read about her in the recent uh, prayer magazine of Open Doors organisation. Eunice Oliwale's from northern Nigeria. Every morning, Eunice would get up at 5am to go and preach the gospel in the streets to other commuters before she went off off to her job. Most of the time, she went and preached alongside the local mosque. Uh, It's reported that on one morning, the local imam who was preaching there in the mosque, as he overheard uh, Eunice preaching through her loudspeaker, that he was so convicted by what that she was saying that he stopped preaching and told everyone to listen to her because she was speaking the truth about God. Well, late last year, Eunice was attacked and stabbed while she was preaching. As she was bleeding to death in the street, she was still preaching Christ. Is she the greatest evangelist ever? Or is it Paul? 
The Apostle Paul, in the first century, he preached the gospel in synagogues, he preached the gospel in university halls. He preached the gospel in people's homes, he preached the gospel in jail, he preached the gospel to to rulers and officials and he preached the gospel to slaves and to prisoners. He mobilised mission and church planting in the first century from Jerusalem across the Roman Empire. He wrote, much of what we have as the New Testament is Paul the greatest evangelist ever. Who is the greatest evangelist ever? You might be thinking about tuning out right now because talking about the greatest evangelist ever, well, this is the stuff for super-Christians or it's just an analysis of history. It's, It's not the kind of stuff that's in my league. You see, when we hear about great evangelists at work, it can be inspiring and, and we will be thankful to God for what He does through them, but we can be left even more and more aware of how much we are not like them. How plain and ordinary we are. They preach to millions. I can't even get the gospel into coherent conversation with my sister sometimes. They can share warmly about Jesus in every setting of life and I I, I can't get over the nerves of speaking about Jesus with a new friend. They can strategize and coordinate effective gospel movements across the globe and I can barely organize a barbecue with my neighbours to invite them further along investigating Jesus. You feel like that? Do you feel like that when we hear about the greatest evangelists ever? Well, don't tune out yet. Acts chapter 8 focuses history in on one believer, one person who is reaching out with the gospel of Jesus. Here in Acts 8, there's this crossroad meeting between Philip and an Ethiopian official. And here, in this moment, we see the greatest evangelist ever at work. In a way that shouldn't cause us to tune out or in a way that should cause us to feel a little bit discouraged but a way that should grip us and give encouragement to every one of us to be reaching out with the gospel about Jesus. The context of the crossroad encounter here is an encounter between uh, Philip and this Ethiopian. The context for it is set up for us in verses 1 to 4 of chapter 8. We read these last week, turn your eyes back to them now. This is the context in which this crossroad meeting happens. See there, chapter 8, verses 1 to 4, there's this great persecution that has broken out against believers in Jerusalem. Because of that, the believers, all except for the apostles, are scattered uh, out from Jerusalem. They, They flee for their lives. And as a result, the gospel is ejected to Samaria. Uh, Jesus had promised his disciples in Acts chapter 1 verse 8 that he would give his Holy Spirit so that they would be his witnesses to Jerusalem and in all Judea and to Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Here the gospel is being ejected out to Samaria just as Jesus promised. So in chapter 8 verse 4, those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. And there our attention comes to one man in particular, Philip. 
He's one of the believers who goes out preaching. Verse 5, Philip went down to the city in Samaria and proclaimed the Christ there. We've heard about Philip before. Philip is one of the seven who was chosen in chapter 6 as a leader amongst God's people to be responsible for distributing the food to the widows. And now here he is, dispersed to Samaria, and as he goes, he is proclaiming Christ. And as he proclaims Christ, stuff happens. Verses 6 and 7, as he proclaims Christ, there are his miraculous signs. Evil spirits are overcome. People are healed. Verse 8, as Philip proclaims Christ, there was great joy in the city. Verses 9 following, we're not going to look at it in detail, but as Philip proclaims Christ, Simon, a sorcerer, comes to belief and is baptised, and along with him many, many, many others. As Philip proclaims Christ in Samaria, stuff happens. Well, it's then that Philip comes across the path of this Ethiopian from verse 26. This Ethiopian official having some kind of high up rank and responsibility, we see here, we get a sense here that he's a worshipper of the Lord. He has some Old Testament scripture, at least the prophet Isaiah. He goes to Jerusalem to carry out worship. But we start to see that he is limited in his understanding, perhaps to some extent has, has, has no understanding of what he is reading in the book of Isaiah. He's someone who is going along with the outward actions of worship. He knows that there's something bigger out there in the world. He he has some kind of understanding. He he, he can go along with the crowd of worshippers, but he does not have a heart and mind engagement or conviction with who God is. Perhaps you know people like him. Maybe you feel like this sometimes. Some of our young people here amongst us might feel like this from time to time. You know how to look like you're a Christian. You've worked out how to imitate the people round about you, perhaps your parents or your leaders or your peers. You, you, You know how to do what makes it look like that you're part of the Christian crowd, but in your own heart and mind, you've got really, really big questions. Jesus just doesn't yet make sense. Young people, hear me really clearly at this point. You don't need to fake it to be accepted here. You don't need to fake it in this church to be part of this church. It is okay to ask your questions. It is okay to share the struggles that you have to believe. Be honest with yourself. Be honest with one another. Be honest with your parents. Be honest with your youth leaders. It is okay to say, I just don't understand who Jesus is. I don't feel like he has a place in my life right now. But I want to try and work it out. I know Jesus died for the sins of the whole world, but I don't feel like he died for me. And resurrection, I really don't get that. Young people, it's okay to say these things. It's okay to ask these questions, to wrestle with the answers. It's okay for adults to do the same too. It was these very questions and being given the opportunity to ask them and wrestle with the answers that actually took me from being 
a fake it person at church into somebody who became a believer. I was allowed to ask the questions and think them through with other people. Now this is what happens for the Ethiopian official. He goes from somebody who looks like a worshipper in outside action to somebody who has heart and mind, engagement and conviction. Philip is right in the right place at the right time to show him Jesus. Can you kick me along please, Chris? I've lost connection up here. Philip is in the right place at the right time to show him Jesus. The Ethiopian, he's reading uh, from the book of Isaiah. Let's have a look again in verse 32. Acts chapter 8, verse 32. The eunuch was reading this passage of Scripture. It comes from Isaiah, chapter 53. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter, and as a lamb before the shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants, for his life was taken from the earth? The eunuch asked Philip, Tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. The right understanding is that it is all about Jesus. Isaiah chapter 53 is all about Jesus. All that the prophet Isaiah had to say was all about Jesus. All the Old Testament points to Jesus. All is fulfilled in Jesus. When Jesus appeared to his um, uh, apostles after he uh, was raised from the dead, Luke chapter 24 verse 44, Jesus says, everything must be fulfilled that is written about me in the law of Moses, the prophets and the Psalms. Jesus is saying that all of the Old Testament makes sense when you see that it is about him, that it is pointing to him, that it is fulfilled in him. And this right understanding doesn't just give new information to this Ethiopian official. It brings him into belief and new life. Verse 36. As they travelled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, Look, here is water, why shouldn't I be baptised? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptised him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. He's brought to new life and belief. It's an exciting moment in history as these two lives intersect at the right time in the right place because the greatest evangelist ever is at work. And it's not Philip, it's not Paul, it's not Eunice, it's not Billy Graham, but it is God. God is the greatest evangelist ever. Remember in Acts chapter 1, verse 8, Jesus said the Holy Spirit would come from God the Father, who would be the one who would empower his disciples, empower all believers to bear witness to him out to the ends of the earth. And here we see God is working out this evangelistic encounter at this crossroad. Verse 26 there in chapter 8, verse 26, it's the angel of the Lord who directs Philip 
to Gaza. Now, we don't know how this direction came to Philip, whether he had a dream or he had a vision or he heard a voice or he had an inspired idea within, his, within himself. We, we don't know how it came to him, but what we do know is God is directing him to Gaza. God is working out this evangelistic encounter. Verse 29, verse 29, it's the Spirit, the Spirit of God who tells Philip to go and approach the chariot that is coming by. Verses 32 and verse 33, it is God's word through Isaiah and God's gospel about Jesus, verse 35, that brings the Ethiopian into this new understanding of life and belief. God is working out this evangelistic encounter. God is the greatest evangelist ever and God will use men and women through history at the right time, in the right place, in ordinary circumstances, in extraordinary circumstances to bring people to life and belief. God's the good shepherd. The good shepherd who leaves the 99 sheep to go in search of the one lost sheep. God is the loving father that Jesus tells us about in the parable of the lost son. He's the loving father who looks out for and runs to the lost son. Of any evangelist ever, God is the one who has the deepest passion and heart for the lost. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 4 says, God wants all people to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 9 says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promises. Some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. Of any evangelist ever, God is the one who is most active. God is the one who has the deepest passion for the lost. God is the one who is most determined to see the gospel of Jesus spread to all his people and bring them to repentance and faith and life. Now because God is the greatest evangelist ever, you and I can give ourselves to his evangelistic mission. Regardless of where we might see ourselves on the scale of the greatest evangelist ever, because God is the greatest, you and I can give ourselves to his evangelistic mission. David Cook was former principal of Sydney Missionary Bible College where Julia studied. He says this, a church or a Christian that ceases to be missionary ceases to be Christian. A Christian who is not on mission is not a Christian. A church that is not on mission is not Christian. A church or a Christian that ceases to be missionary ceases to be Christian. Now, Julia didn't study at uh, SMBC while David was actually the principal, but his legacy and his heritage, I'm sure, was passed on. Uh, One of the many things that I've appreciated in serving alongside Julia here at New Life over the last couple of years is Julia's heart for evangelism. She prays for it. She seeks to do it. She seeks to encourage the rest of us to do it. 
And one of the reasons that we are releasing Julia from here, sadly, is for mission. Though she goes from being a full-time paid gospel worker in a church to being a part-time paid editor of a newspaper, she is going out to another place to live and share Jesus in a spiritually dry community. And Julia will be fruitful and effective because God is the great evangelist. He goes with her to work through her and to reach out with the gospel of Jesus. He will direct all kinds of intersections in her life and in the lives of other people to to bring them across her path and bring them into contact with the gospel of Jesus. In 1996... I was at a crossroads in life. I was trying to make sense of where I was going to go in the future. Would I move away from my hometown to study at university? What was I going to do with the church background of what I knew about Jesus, but like I said earlier, was something that I could go through the outward motions of, but didn't really make sense to me? How was I making sense of life in the future? I was at this crossroads in life when God intersected my life in a big way. Travelling through town was a, was a youth evangelistic grunge band pastor and he told me about grace for the first time in which I understood. At the same time, another young man had moved to our town and he started up a Bible study group for 17 and 18 year olds and for the first time somebody invited me to sit down and read the Bible. I'm a Christian because the greatest evangelist and his gospel intersected my life through these other young men. I heard this week about a young mum in our local community whose life has been intersected with another young mum who was a Christian. They met at a children's activity and were sharing little bits about their life when uh, the Christian lady shared that she was a Christian. The other lady had some intriguing questions about that and they've continued to have questions across a few weeks. So then when this other mum was at her playgroup, which happened to meet in a rent-a-church building, she saw a poster inviting her to, t- to attend a Bible study group for other women who were investigating Jesus. She went, oh, I might go and check that out. She went along to that other church then and there she's been welcomed into a group of other women who are sitting around the Bible reading about who Jesus is. Who has God placed around you so that the gospel intersects with their life? You might not be the person who is there at the moment of their salvation. You might not be the person who finally unpacks Jesus for them. You might not be the person who leads them in a prayer of repentance and faith. Perhaps you might never know what happens to them in the future, this side of heaven. But each intersection is part of God's great plans of salvation. Already God is working out all kinds of new intersections for Vicky as she moves up into Queensland leaving behind all these old intersections to move her into all these new ones. 
God has already had planned before we even knew about it, before Julia ever knew about it, to move down to the Murray River and start to intersect the gospel into people's lives down there. Who has God placed round about you right now, today, so that the gospel intersects with their lives? Here's a little bit of an action plan for you. Have a think about the different spheres of your life where you intersect with others. For me, I've written down there footy parents, we're about to get the footy season underway, school parents, extended family, the brass band that I play in, going along to the gym, the neighbours who live nearby me. These are the spheres of my life where they intersect with others. You can easily work out those spheres for your own life. Some of them will actually overlap. There'll be multiple intersections in the one sphere. But here's an action plan for today, for this week. Identify one believer, uh, identify one unbeliever. We're going to pray that they'll become a believer. Identify one unbeliever in each of those spheres. Write their name down. Draw up a little crossroad grid and sphere if that helps you. Write down the name of one unbeliever in each one of those spheres that your life intersects with. Pray for them. Pray that the gospel will intersect their life. Be really bold, really brave. Pray that it'll be you through whom God uses so that the gospel intersects with their life. Not just pray that they become a Christian. God, please use me to share Jesus with this person as our life intersects. And pray that God, the greatest evangelist ever, that he will do his work in us and through us to see many come to new life and belief. He'll do it. Because he is the greatest evangelist ever. You and I can give ourselves to his evangelistic mission.